State Representative Tim O'Neill is a combat veteran and a businessman. Today, he's taking on another battle, getting Pennsylvania government out of the booze business. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, President of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. And today I have State Representative Tim O'Neill. He is from the 48th District, which is part of uh, Washington County. Uh, Tim was elected in May of 2018 in a special election uh, for a seat that was vacated by a former Democrat uh, and uh, then was reelected again in November of uh, 2018. Uh, Tim, welcome to Brews and Views. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Tim, uh, you, uh, you're a family man and uh, you had a career uh, before you came into the legislature. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Uh, you are a combat veteran uh, as well as a businessman. Um, talk about growing up in, in the area that you now serve. Sure. I, I grew up, I did not grow up specifically in the district that I now serve, but I did grow up close by in Westmoreland County. Uh, and I, I grew up in, you know, a, a, a typical middle class family. Uh, my father is a police officer in Westmoreland County. My mother is a registered nurse. Um, you, you know, the typical family who uh, who has enough money to get by, but certainly not not enough money to to live comfortably. Um, you know, pr pretty typical. I, I went off to college, ended up going to IUP. Uh, where I actually went through the ROTC program. Um, while I was in college, I actually enlisted in the National Guard. So from the National Guard and, and then ROTC at IUP, I, I went on to active duty as a commissioned officer. Yeah, so uh, had you always aspired to, to join the military or was that something that uh, you got the bug for while you were in college? Uh, what led you to uh, pursue that uh, pathway? Yeah, originally I did. I did have interest in it going through high school. I, I explored the academy route uh, for for a period of time. Decided to not go that route, and, and initially my aspirations of military service died there. Uh, but then, then I began to. My parents ended up getting divorced right before I went off to college, and and paying for college became much bigger of an issue than it was previously. Uh, and I began to explore the National Guard just to pay for school. Uh, went away to boot camp in 1999 at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and I fell in love with the military. At that point, I thought I'd make a career out of it. Well, uh, you ended up uh, going off to Afghanistan, uh, I know, and uh, were awarded a Bronze Star with a, a V for Valor. Uh, rose to the to the height of of being a captain. Um, uh, what made you decide, okay, uh, that was good. I'm ready to go into business and, uh, uh, ended up, uh, leaving the military. Yeah. Like I said, I, I fully intended to, uh, to, to make a career out of it. Uh, that, that was my intention coming out of school. Uh, but then once again, life gets in the way. I, I, I met, uh, the, my now wife in my last semester in college, we actually began dating, uh, I was stationed overseas, uh, deployed to Afghanistan, so we had a long-distance relationship for quite some time. Um, in 2006, we got married, started to discuss uh, starting a family, 
And we, we realize that uh, moving around uh, all over the country and all over the world every couple of years uh, wasn't necessarily the life we were looking for as we began our young family. Uh, so I, I, I got out of the military, moved back uh, to southwestern Pennsylvania, this time to Washington, where my wife did grow up. Um, and that's what, uh, what, what launched my civilian career. Initially, I actually went uh, directly into the business world. Uh, there, was, there was a gap there before I went back to school to get my MBA. I actually left the military uh, to, to work for Consol Energy, which is, for those of you that might not know, is, a, is a, a, at the time a fairly large coal mining company uh, here in southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, my initial job was, uh, was, it was actually industrial engineer, but I was training to be a foreman in an underground coal mine. Um, it quickly, fairly quickly realized that I, I, although it's a wonderful career and, and well-paying, you know, coal miners are wonderful people that can earn a lot of money. I realized I didn't want to spend the next 30 years underground. So I, I actually transferred uh, within Consol to the HR function and, and ran human resources at one of the coal mines. Um, at, at that time, I, I really began to realize the pure business side of the things. My, my major at IUP was criminology, so I didn't, did not have the business background. I began to realize that was something that I needed if I wanted to, to advance my career in, in the business world. So uh, I ended up going to Pitt's part-time program. I would drive every day down to Oakland uh, from Greene County uh, in, in order to get my MBA, um, and I graduated with MBA in 2013. I think you ended up with a construction company there for a bit. That's right. So, so uh, through through a number of transactions uh, with the business, I ended up switching jobs um, and and, find, and landed in at a construction company in Pittsburgh, one of the largest in, in Pittsburgh, where I ran their human resources department, uh, and and that was the role that I was in when uh, when I decided to run for office. Yeah. So how did you uh, happen to say, all right, uh, it's time for me to run for, for office. Uh, you, uh, w you know that the seat, of course, was held by a Democrat who had, uh, I believe he won a, um, a judicial race, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so Democrats uh, had uh, held that seat for some time. Um, wh what made you decide to throw your uh, hat into the ring and, and ultimately uh, win that election? Well, honestly, Matt, I like to tell people that I fell out of bed and hit my head. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I actually, I never thought I, I would be involved in politics. I never thought that I would run for office. Um, I, I got the opportunity to participate in a program called Leadership Pittsburgh, which, uh, which exposed me to some, some more of the political and legislative workings of the state than I had ever been exposed before. Uh, prior to that, I never really got past, um, you know, some of the pettiness of campaigning, uh, but Leadership Pittsburgh helped expose me to the, the actual work that a legislator does. Uh, so, so I walked away from that. It was good timing. It, it was just before my predecessor uh, won both tickets on the primary, uh, with virtually guaranteeing that he would become a judge in November. So that really set the stage to uh, for him to vac vacate the seat and for me to realize that it was an opportunity to serve again uh, without without deploying back to Afghanistan. So. All eyes were were upon uh, that very competitive uh, race, particularly in in 2018, uh, being a very uh, difficult year, say for Republicans. Uh, and so I know that a lot of folks were had their eyes on on this House race to see. 
maybe if it was a bellwether for the elections to come, uh, then you had to go right back into election mode, didn't you? Uh, ab- absolutely. It was, uh, I ran two full blown campaigns back to back. It was really, really the introduction to, to politics and to campaigning was, was really uh, the, the worst case or, or the best case scenario, scenario, depending on the way you look at it. Um, and it was certainly an exciting year for, for the O'Neill family. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, so uh, I guess the, the question is, well, well, why not jump into the fray on one of the most contentious and long-standing uh, challenges uh, that this Commonwealth has faced. Uh, obviously, since the end of Prohibition, there have been calls to uh, uh, get the government out of the booze business uh, and even uh, put a bill, a full privatization bill on Governor Wolf's desk in, in June of 2015, which he summarily vetoed. But then uh, uh, the House kept uh, pressing and has, has made uh, some progress there. Uh, but you recently introduced a, a full privatization bill. And what I mean by full privatization is that uh, there are the two sides. You have the retail side, which is what most people see, and that being the, the government-run liquor stores. And then you have the wholesale side, which I describe as the spigot through which uh, all of the, the alcohol goes through. Uh, that's kind of behind the scenes, but that's a big part of the system uh, for sure. And uh, you've introduced a bill. Well, why not I let you explain a bit about what you uh, have proposed? Sure. You know, you you've laid you laid out what the what the system really looks like pretty succinctly there. My bill requires the complete divestiture of the entire system. It would sell licenses and the state stores themselves, all of the retail operations, all of those locations uh, over the course of two to four years uh, would be divested and no longer owned and operated by the state. Um, in addition to that, it, it would also sell and divest the the wholesale system as well uh, in in order to ensure that the the only remaining piece, the the PLCB, the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board, uh, only role uh, at the end of that that divestor period would be be enforcement and regulation of the industry. Uh, fundamentally, that is my position that the state should not be in the business of, of selling alcohol. The system was originally designed in the Prohibition era to dissuade the the participation and the consumption of alcohol as much as possible. So it, it was, it's an unnecessarily convoluted, complex bureaucracy that Act 39 that you you referred to, uh, which was the advancement we made in 2016 after the full privatization bill was vetoed, that, that's the bill that allowed wine and beer to be sold in grocery stores. Um, that bill, I, I really truly believe, has showed us that private industry can responsibly sell liquor, can responsibly sell alcohol, specifically in that case, wine and beer. Uh, and it's, it's time here in the 21st century uh, to bring our system across the Commonwealth uh, up to modern standards. Uh, We have the the second uh, most stringent alcohol laws uh, across the country. The only one more stringent than us is is Utah itself. Uh, And and I believe we're the only two systems that still remain state-owned and controlled. So now's the time, uh, I, I believe, 
customers and, and constituents and citizens across the Commonwealth have demand have been demanding this for a long time. It's time we listen. We've seen the debacle uh, that was the uh, PLCB during this uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. Uh, we have to be the only state in the country uh, that lost revenue on alcohol while we saw increases everywhere, and particularly uh, our surrounding states with uh, people crossing the borders uh, because they uh, the, the liquor stores were closed, uh, their website was dysfunctional, uh, and that's putting it kindly. I think it was 99.7% of people could not uh, get through the website. So it would seem that uh, the, the uh, environment uh, is ripe uh, for this kind of reform. Uh, do you think uh, that your colleagues are ready to go along with this uh, you know, divestiture of both the wholesale and retail once again? Um, and uh, what do you see as, as the real challenges ahead, uh, you know, before we get into, hey, does this help fill budget holes and things like that? What, what, what's your sense of, of the environment uh, this time? Yeah, I, I do believe there is a lot of support uh, on both sides of the aisle for the, this type of change. Uh, you're absolutely right. The, the COVID crisis has, has absolutely highlighted the, the issues with the system. Um, and it... it it has highlighted the lack of flexibility that the LCB currently has uh, in the in the sale of alcohol. It, there's no doubt in my mind, and, and I, I would presume you feel the same, that that private industry w- would absolutely have been able to adjust to this situation and continue to meet demand throughout the crisis if we'd have just just let them through mm-hmm. this. Um, so I, I do think there there is there is broad support of, of, on both sides of the aisle in both the House and Senate. Um, it, it, it's it's still it's always a contentious issue. There's a lot of stakeholders involved uh, on on both sides of the issue. I'm excited to work on it, uh, and I think it's definitely, especially coming off the hills uh, of such a, a catastrophic failure. Uh, I, I think it now is the right time to get this done. Tax revenues have plummeted. Uh, we're not uh, uh, likely to uh, see a quick recovery here in order for uh, budget spending to remain at the levels that they've been. Uh, th- there aren't many big ticket items out there, you know, other than than tax increases on businesses that simply can't afford them right now. It would seem that this would be attractive to a lot of folks to say, um, hey, we can sell these assets uh, because they are, they're monopolies right now uh, that I would argue are probably under leveraged in terms of their real value. Um, have you put a price tag on on what uh, selling the wholesale and the retail might generate uh, both in, I guess, one time upfront revenues, but then uh, ongoing, I, I would think that you would see uh, increased uh, tax revenues by putting these in private hands as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and th- there's no doubt it's definitely a hard figure to, uh, to estimate. Uh, but right now, what we're looking at is we're we're actually looking somewhere between 3.3 and 4.2 billion dollars over the course of the entire sell uh, could, could be raised. Of course, that that's over a period of time. It's not at, at one one time. But you're absolutely right. There aren't very many opportunities across the Commonwealth to raise that type of money through through any any one single policy position or or program. Uh, it is absolutely something that we should be looking at uh, come November when when we have to fill 
uh, it, where we better understand the situation uh, that we're facing off of this COVID crisis. Um, it, we, we should absolutely be looking at uh, this bill, this concept in order to potentially raise some of those revenues. In my talking, even with some Democrats, I think you're right that we've seen some movement there. I, I think nobody can defend the system as it is. Uh, and of course, there are some uh, massive costs associated with running a government enterprise. Of course, all the employees uh, with pensions that are taxpayer-funded guarantees for life. Um, uh, of course, if we're going to uh, fulfill the uh, the benefits that folks have earned, uh, this would also probably be a way to make sure that uh, people who've earned benefits, they get them. Uh, but then going forward, uh, we really shift a lot of that uh, burden onto uh, the, the private sector rather than, than the public sector. So it seems that there are a number of uh, reasons we ought to be looking to uh, uh, get rid of this, this system. Um, because I, I could even argue that uh, it's the one uh, government program that has actually achieved its mission. Uh, when, when Governor Pinchot signed uh, the Liquor Control Board, he said he wanted to make it as inaccessible and as expensive as possible. Um, I think you could say and make good argument that he is, he succeeded there. Absolutely. So, Tim, uh, from here, uh, you know, a budget has been signed by the governor that uh, gets us through November 30. Of course, elections are November 3rd. And uh, then you are uh, have a, a time period where legislators uh, come in for a period or can come in for a period called sine die in which... Um, elected officials and those who either are retiring or maybe lost an election uh, will be able to still pass laws. Uh, is that the window into which you think uh, a liquor privatization bill could be done? Yeah, that, that's that's certainly my projected goal. Uh, like like you you brought up and, and we discussed about, um, it's it's certainly something that can potentially backfill those budget holes. We're going to need the revenue. We're going to understand what the what the revenue shortfall is by that time. Um, and regardless of whether or not the 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 specific rep or senator is is returning for the next session uh, during that signy die period, I, I believe this is something we could get across the finish line in order to to help backfill some of those uh, some of those revenues lost. Well, uh, th there won't be uh, easy decisions ahead, of course, with uh, um, tax revenues plummeting and projections of lots and lots of small businesses uh, going under. This uh, would seem to be a way to uh, shift this enterprise out of the, the public sector, put it in the private sector and have lots of entrepreneurs and, and uh, folks that would be uh, the ones who are uh, running this like, uh, well, like you said, in most other states, uh, um, we have the private sector doing it. Well, uh, Representative Tim O'Neill, I, I thank you for coming on Brews and Views, aptly uh, named for this uh, discussion. Um, and I wish you all the best in this effort because I think, uh, you know, across the board, Democrats, Republicans, independents, it doesn't matter what part of the state. Uh, uh, people demonstrate and say uh, they want the government out of the booze business and uh, because it's been a lose business uh, for taxpayers and certainly for consumers, as we saw here. So thanks for coming on to talk about this. And I wish you all the best in, in this effort. Uh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to discuss the issue and uh, looking forward to getting it done in November. Thanks a lot, Tim. <laughs> Thank you.
been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. 